Right. How's everybody doing? Good. You guys seem to be having a good time. Today we continue this, this, this promise of a king. And um, so far we looked at the desire for Israel to want to have a king and, and ignoring God's plans, not really consulting with what God wanted for them. Um, and instead they bypass the process completely and go directly and say, God, we want to be like the other people. All right. They end up getting their first king, which we talked about last week. It was King Saul. And we looked at that experience and what that was like for them as people last week and what that experience was like for Saul. Obviously, we can't dive into every single story of each king in specifics, but we do a, an intro of what, what's happening in that king's life overall. You can look at our podcast. We have podcasts of all of our sermons. People keep asking me, do you guys record the service? And we do. The soundboard is being recorded and we have a podcast that you could forward that sermon to somebody you want to send it to. Or since we open and start doing services in this area, we've recorded every sermon and every podcast. So you're more than welcome to go and listen to those. You're like, Moises, we don't want to listen to you anymore. Stop. But the podcast is there. You can listen to Styles. He's done a few. So, um, so today we're going to be talking about the second king of Israel, which was David. Who honestly, we could all agree that he was much different than Saul. You can look at both of these kings and see that Saul was the people's choice, while David ends up being God's choice. It's a huge difference there. It's almost like God let the people of Israel say, have your pick, I'm next. A lot of years went by, but David was born 10 years after Saul became king. The whole, the people of Israel were on a long drift away from God. And now, to make matters worse, they start noticing this king is not the king we really want when it comes to Saul. Aside from Jesus, there is more scripture about David than any other Bible character. In fact, Abraham has 14 chapters dedicated to his life. Joseph has another 14. Jacob has 11. Elijah has 10. How many do you think David has? David has 66 chapters that speak of him as an individual. That's not including the, not, the about 90-something references in the New Testament that also refer to him as an individual. He wrote 73 of all 150 Psalms. When we realize how much is said about David in Scripture, coupled with the the two times where he's called a man after God's own heart, he was kind of like a big deal. This guy was sort of like a superhero in the Bible, okay? David was a musician, a leader, a warrior, a poet. He had his highs and his lows in life. But through all of it, God said, he is a man after my own heart. Wow. Man, that is, that is something. You know, I wonder if God would say anything like that about us. Probably not, right? <laughs> Let's be real here. No, I'm just kidding. Um, you know, what is interesting to me about David is on, on the surface, he didn't look like much of a big deal. He didn't look much different than all the other Jewish boys of his age. In fact, Samuel says that he was ruddy with beautiful eyes and a handsome appearance. Must have had red hair, you know? <laughs> That's really the only physical description of David that we actually get. 
It didn't seem like his outward appearance was much to talk about. Unlike what we talked about Saul, where he was tall and handsome. We went through that. We don't want to dig back into that. You know, I'm, I'm a little short guy, so I don't like, you know, I get a little uncomfortable talking about tall people. I'm just kidding. He was just a young shepherd boy living in the little village of Bethlehem, you know? But God sees him and says, you are the future king of Israel that I've been looking for. Here's the plan, and here's how it goes. We're going to be looking at 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 1 to 2. If you have your Bibles, follow with me. If not, I have the scriptures up on the screen. Now the Lord said to Samuel, you have mourned long enough Saul, for Saul. I have rejected him as king of Israel, so fill your flask with, oil, with olive oil and go to Bethlehem. Find a man named Jesse who lives there, for I have selected one of his sons to be my king. But Samuel asked, how can I do that? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. Take a heifer with you. The Lord replied and, and say that you have come to make a sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you which of his sons to anoint. We see a prophet scared of making a decision. Scared of making a change in his life. You know? Many times in our lives, one of the biggest fears that we have or one of the biggest obstacles that we enter into is that when God takes us through a new season of life, the first thing we are is we're afraid of it. No, anybody in the room like change? Oh, look at all those hands up in the room. It's crazy. It's difficult. Change is difficult. I told you last week that I'm the guy that puts the watch here, the, 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 the ring there, the wallet here. I'm very specific. So when that gets thrown out of whack, I lose it. You know who's an expert? My wife. That's so we get along so well. She is like a free spirit around the house, you know? So, but it is one of those things that is difficult to overcome because it, it bothers me when things change personally. It is hard for us to see the good in a change when we've been so accustomed to doing certain ways, doing things certain ways. Samuel said, if Saul hears, you know, I love the, the, the proverb 22, 13, where it says, the lazy person claims there's a lion out there. If I go, I might be killed. It's like the, 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 the concept of like, you'll never drive a car if you think that every time you get in a car, you may have an accident. Right? There comes a point where change in our lives needs to take place in order for us to fulfill the destiny that God has for us. Even if the circumstances don't look too promising. Okay? If we're looking at our lives and constantly saying, there's a line out there, I don't think I can do it. God, I don't think I can make that happen. You're literally removing yourself from whatever destiny God has in store with you. But when I think of God choosing anyone, there are a few questions that come to mind. Why does God choose people? What does he look at when he says, you are the chosen person for this? What kind of people does he look for? What causes God to say, that's the person I want to choose? Paul had different audiences. Paul had, um, Paul had the Jewish people, which wanted a miracle that would signify that this was a man of God. Then he had the crowd, the Greeks, okay, who really didn't care much. They were just looking for, 
great surface kind of things and things that look magical and amazing, right? They didn't care about the inner man so much. Inside of all this, we see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he addresses this. In verse 26 to 29, he says, Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose things the world consider foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he shows things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God shows things despised, despised by, the word, by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to, bring to nothing what the world considered important. As a result, no one can boast in the presence of God. It's amazing. It's kind of eye-opening for us, right? You're not that big of a deal. I'm not that big of a deal. It's a reality we all have to face. I will tell you to look at the person next to you, but I don't want to put you through that. <laughs> there are not that many impressive people here. You're a big deal. <laughs> you are a big deal. Wait a second. You, you are a big deal. No. You know. And many times what that brings us to is that sometimes the obvious choice is not always God's choice. I was doing the back to school bash here and a lady says to me, people kept pointing to me that you were the pastor of this thing. And I was like, no, there's no way he's the pastor. He doesn't have that big role back here that all the pastors I grew up watching have. <laughs> you were there, Tammy, you heard it. I'm not lying. I said, listen, I'll work on that role then. I mean, <laughs> you know, Sometimes the obvious choice is not necessarily what we all think. It's God's choice. I don't have the role on the back of my head. So when I told her I'll get the role, she said, you're going to have to gain a lot of weight for that. I said, you know, she, she remembers pastors. She said, every pastor I ever met in my life had this role on the back of his head. And I knew they were a pastor. I was like, wow. <laughs> she was serious. Guys, if you're here for the first time, we have a little bit of fun, but it gets serious, okay? I'm telling you. And, and we tend to forget this principle. We talked a little bit about it last week. We, we superficially gauge stuff and look at things through the surface and misjudge people like the Greeks. Because when we're looking for someone to admire, we, we choose role models and heroes. And, and often uh, it, it, it's all based on what we're impressed by in a boasting kind of way. Beautiful people, brilliant people, successful people, the biggest, the brightest. And when we see God, he's, he's, he's most of the time focused on the nobodies. What we, can, we would consider the nobodies. And he doesn't do it to boast about the fact that they're nobodies, but usually to turn them into somebodies. See, friends, it, it doesn't matter what people think you are what they perceive you as. All that matters is what God can do with your meaningless life and through it. You know, I, I gave a, a thing to the huddle last week. I, I was talking to the group in the huddle before service last week, and I said to them, there was a lady in Luke chapter 8 who was, had a constant, she had that bleeding event that, would, that was constant with no cure. It's on the screen. 
12 years. But in verse 46, Jesus says, someone touch me. That's after the disciples corrected her, corrected him and said, there's a lot of people pushing around here. Anyone could have touched you. There's a bunch of nobodies here. And Jesus says, someone touch me. One touch from God. One made a nobody a somebody in one statement. That's what the power of God can do. See? We put our life lens through that admiring concept and the brilliance concept and, and how smart someone is. And Jesus says, if you come to me, you instantly become someone. Challenge accepted. I'll take your life on and make something amazing out of it. You know, and turning nobodies into somebodies is basically the story of David's life in a nutshell. I mean, when God is looking for a potential leader or, or one of his key servants, he's not necessarily looking for perfect people. In fact, he's looking for people made of flesh and blood, just like you and I. Have you messed up this week? Yeah, right? I mean, there's hands everywhere. For that same reason, God loves these unlikely leaders. You see Moses, right? He is in, on the run from Pharaoh, from his justice, and then becomes the biggest law, greatest lawgiver of all time. You got Gideon, who's afraid, in fear, ends up debunking an army with 300 men. Peter, who was this guy, he was a fisherman, he was impulsive, yet he was launched into becoming the leader of the Christian church. You have David, an insignificant shepherd, becomes the greatest king Israel's ever had, except Jesus, obviously, but... You know, we could go on and on and on. But there are certain qualities about you that make you unique that God considers to choose you for the moment. There were certain qualities about David that made him the right man for the job. Do you know what those qualities are about you? Or do we get caught up in the insignificance of our lives? In the sin that hunts us down? Should David have looked at God and said, I'm not the guy for the job. I'm too small. I don't have the potential. One touch from God makes you a somebody. One touch. Amen? I want to look at three qualities that, that God found in David that I think made him the right man for the job. With the hopes that we can relate to these qualities. Maybe work on them. I've always told people, Stop looking for the best friend for your life and start becoming the best friend for your life. In relationships, it works the same way. Stop looking for the one and become the one for someone else. You want God to choose you? Stop working. Start working on become, becoming the right choice for God. Work on those criteria of your life, those character things I need to work on. The first thing that he saw in David that we can see here is his spirituality. You know, because in order to see God's full plan and his ways in our lives, we have to look at that 10,000 foot view of God's plan. Somebody was asking me earlier, were you a very outgoing person in high school? No, actually the opposite. I was a quiet guy. No way, you're lying to me. You say hi to everybody. Yes, now there is a God, you know? <laughs> so... 
We have to look at our lives through a spiritual lens at some point. It can't all be factual. It, it, there's got to be a concept of faith built within our lives that we look at things with, with faith and say, this can't happen. There is some spirituality that needs to work within us so that we can become the right people for the job. So when God comes up to us, we don't miss it. Keep in mind that spirituality is not about doing something. You're probably sitting here, and because I, were, I brought the word spirituality, you're thinking, okay, what is he going to ask us to do? Here we go. How many times do I have to fast a week? How many times do I have to do this a week? It's not about doing. Our spirituality is not based on what we can do or how much we do. It's simply evidence of who we belong to. 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 14 says, But now your kingdom must end, for the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. No, they didn't. And underline those in there. I have them on underlined here. Guys, come on now. You know? <laughs> Help me out here, you know? Guys, it's their fault. No, I'm just kidding. You know, God is looking for people, in other words, whose life is, with, is, is, is in harmony with him. Who, who prioritize what's important to God is important to them. Who, whatever burdens God, burdens them. If God says do the right thing, they do the right thing. If God says stop, they'd stop. If God said these things in your life need to change, they actually go through and change those things. All because they have a heart for God. When you're deeply spiritual, you have a heart that is sensitive to the things of God. I love this parallel verse in 2 Chronicles 16.9 when it talks about the choosing. Check this out. It says, the eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. God is looking for people who can spiritually come together with him and say, I'm ready. I don't see it. Because I'm going to tell you right now, we never see it. My experience of coming to this campus and leading this campus happened in a mirror. Where I was praying about who can we send down here. I'm praying in my house. Like, Lord, so, man, we know we're supposed to go down here. Who is it? God. And it's you. And I'm like, no. <laughs> Me? But I don't live there. Then I go to the kitchen until Rosie, she starts crying and says, I know. <laughs> Listen, friends, you know, what is God looking for? He's looking for men and women whose hearts are completely his. He, he, you know, you, you may not know what that looks like, but, but once you start to realize that, you, you'll begin to please God with your actions. Because there'll be a motivation behind your actions. And you'll start to do things according to his will. God's not trying to wreck your life. He's trying to save it. But our feelings constantly battle with this. We, we, we and, and it reflects in our actions and what we do and what we don't do. And the decisions we make and we don't make. You know, I, I've always learned by this, I live by this principle that I've learned that my feelings eventually will follow my actions. 
Therefore, it is much easier for me to act my way into a feeling than it is to feel my way into an action. We have to change our hearts. Those feelings have to be adjusted. There's got to be a faith, the spirituality concept that we follow. Because ultimately, friends, what does how we feel have anything to do with who we're serving? Facts and feelings are poor substitutes of faith. You know, I, I, I know that our feelings tend to be tough. I'm, I'm talking about feelings and I'm up here crying, right? Like, but, you know, one thing you know about feelings is that they're going to be true. That's how you're going to feel. But they're never permanent. So if we follow a non-permanent thing, it's going to lead us the wrong way. All God is asking us is to become spiritually connected with him so that when he says go, I choose you, we're ready to do it. The spirituality starts with the acknowledgement of who we serve and who's truly in control. It starts with a willing heart, ready to model after what is best for it. You know, trying to do things on your own wouldn't get it done. It's not going to get it done. And we're like, Moises, that statement is true. I've heard that statement forever. Duh. But we don't act on that. I don't think we realize how much we let our feelings drive our lives. When we get upset, misery loves company. Don't, aren't you sometimes carrying that live grenade at home? You know what I'm talking about. And you wake up in a bad mood and you just roll it out like, here we go. It's war. It happens. That's how we are. You're laughing because you know it's true. <laughs> Friends, it's, it's, it's not going to get it done. You, you, you'll never understand who you truly are until you understand who God is in your life. There's got to be a shift in our hearts that happens that allows you to see him for who he is. That when he says go, you have to understand that that is he's got the best intent for your life. That you are capable and ready for the choice he has made over you. Amen? The second thing is humility. Here we go. Humility is not trendy. All right? Humility is like, that, it's like being in high school and that girl looks at you and says, I wouldn't date you now, but you would be a great guy to marry. <laughs> you get it. You don't ever want to be that guy. Right? Like, hey, listen, you're going to be a great husband one day. <laughs> but today, you're just a nice guy. Humility is not trendy. It's, it's just not something people look for. David was faithful in keeping his father's sheep. And we look at that and we say, how insignificant was that? While his brothers were making a name for themselves out at war. He was tucked away in the farm doing work for his dad. Meaningless work, as we would like to call it. And God saw humility in his life. He saw a servant's heart in Psalm 78. 70, it says, he chose his servant, David. Psalms 9, 89, 20. I have found my servant, David. It's a highlight. Of the, they're not misspells. I don't know why they did the red. 
took me a minute, you know. My first language is Spanish, so I sat there and stared at the screen like, is this spell wrong or something? <laughs> Come on, guys. Well, I want to thank the worship team one more time for giving me that, <laughs> that impulse I needed. Only God knew what I was going to deal with when I got up here. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> they don't even do it. Some other guy doesn't. <laughs> uh, you know, guys, humble people live behind a residue of God, not themselves. You, you cannot become strong in Christ until you realize how weak you are in him. Humility speaks of character. Character is not one of those things that you have or don't have. Better character is not something I go pray over you. The Bible says in Mark chapter 28, go and make disciples. It's a training thing. You develop into it. You have to teach character. I always joke about my son because I'm deposit. I feel like I have a cable. I'm just depositing everything that's up here. It's like, and Rosie's like, oh my goodness, you know? But I, I, I'm purposely working on him to have the right character in situations, to, to, to be a man when he's required to be a man. And, and kind of, and you're like, he's five, dude, chill. Yeah, I know. You know, humility allows for reconciliation without expectation of the one part to do the other part first. It is a way that you look at each other and say, how many times have you had to be humble with your wife or your husband? There's going to be times where you look at it and you don't, you don't think you're wrong. But you could <laughs> There it is. All right. Come on, Walt. Settle down. Have a good ride home, all right? <laughs> um, <laughs> You know, so sometimes it can be difficult. There's many times where I feel convicted in my heart. Like your wife needs you to settle down and you need to be humble. Apologize to her. But yeah. <laughs> That's what I said. <laughs> no. In Philippians, <laughs> man, we're losing it here. Let's, let's corral back in here, guys. We got we to gotta get through this. It never stops. Philippians, Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 to 8, gives us a great picture of humility. It says, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not, he did not think of equality with God as, some cling to, as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privilege. He took the humble position of a slave, and he was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God, and died a criminal's death on a cross. That is the greatest example of humility that we have ever experienced. We should have been on that cross. You know, when I stand up and preach, I have this one concept in mind, is that I'm preaching before dead bodies. And I'm a dead body myself. I stand up here believing that I'm looking at a valley of dry bones believing that the word that I have today will bring life, kind of like that Ezekiel. This is the greatest picture or that example of humility. We deserve the cross, and he took it for us. 
Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of others more. Or maybe thinking of yourself less a little bit. Where pride ends, humility begins. Paul says that we must dress ourselves with humility. I love meeting people that have really important positions at work. They're like VPs and they're these big time people and you don't notice it. They just meet you like regular old people. And then they tell you what they do and you're like, oh, uh, okay. You don't expect it because you don't expect people to act that way. You have to dress yourself in humility. It has to be purposeful. You know, humility looks good on everybody. Even though it's not popular, it looks good on you. You may think it doesn't look good. My wife loves me when I'm humble. Yeah. And that's just one concept. You look better being humble. I know sometimes it doesn't feel great internally. You look better. It looks good on you. Put it on every day. Jesus' betrayal, when, when you look at Jesus' betrayal meant victory, rejection meant victory, healing meant victory, death meant victory, resurrection meant victory, all different stages of life, and in all of them, he operated with humility. See that? If we were facing rejection, we find a way to act prideful. We find ways to not put up with it. Instead, for Jesus, it was all victory. He was humble through it all. Allowing God to work through him. Servants don't care about who gets the glory. It has been said that the best leaders are those who know how to follow. When you have a servant's heart, you're humble. You do as you're told. You don't rebel. You respect authority. You serve faithfully and quietly. A servant has one goal. What is that goal? To serve. And make the other person look good. You know, uh, I was, I got to hurry up. Like everybody tells me, stop saying that, man. You don't have to hurry up. Um, I, I was talking to the group this morning and I told them that, you know, usually the greatest opportunities to serve don't last long. So if you get the opportunity to serve someone, do it and do it fast because it won't last long. In Proverbs chapter 3, it actually says, hey, if you get the opportunity to serve someone, don't say, hey, I'll catch you tomorrow. No, serve them now because that's our opportunity. Number three, integrity. Here we go. What is integrity? It's the quality of being honest and having strong moral principles. Psalm 78, 71 to 72 says, From tending the sheep, he brought him to be the shepherd of his people, Jacob, of Israel, his inheritance. And David shepherded them with integrity of heart. You know, integrity is not one of those things that comes in levels. You don't get to have low, medium, high integrity. You either have it or you don't. It's not a partial thing. God is looking for deeply spiritual, genuinely humble, honest to the core servants who have integrity. 
And integrity is one of those things that you are when nobody's looking. We will never know what that looks like today. Only you and God know what that looks like today. Today, we live in a world where filters and posts and different things can really present a life of yours that is what it is. I could put a filter on me that would make me look five years younger. I could put a statement on there that would say, living my best life, my wife and I are happier than ever, loving our life, we're so blessed. And you're sitting there like, man, they're doing good. We hope that to be the case. But only you and God know what your personal integrity looks like. You know? The, the, the funny thing is that in this world, you may be able to fake it till you make it, but with God, you can't fake it till you make it. You know, you, you can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. A man after God's heart keeps the focus on obedience, not obstacles. You never know when your life is going to change. God found David in a field and changed his life that day. Nobody may have noticed David, but God did. The only reason you and I stand in the line of opportunity is because of God. Not because of how good we are, not because of what we know, not because of how capable we may be. The only reason why you and I are in line for the opportunity is because God is able. It's because God is capable of doing something amazing in our lives. You know, there, there will be moments in our lives where we don't think we deserve anything. I look back at my life and I'm extremely grateful. My brother and I, even though being pastor kids at age 13 or 14, we were living in Miami, Florida, and, and growing up, we went through a pretty bad season. I was personally introduced to drugs at that age, affiliated myself with a gang, all right? Things that I'm not proud of, but it was a season in my life that I allow certain things to speak for my identity, turning away from God, the God that had an amazing purpose for me. It was, it was eye-opening to me one time because my wife's best friend was dating an all-high school buddy of mine. I hadn't kept in touch with him. At this point, my wife and I are married, and we're running a ministry, kids' ministry. I haven't seen this guy. Never met him, okay? I don't know why my wife's best friend didn't bring the boyfriend around so we could meet. That's a whole other story. We'll have to talk to her about that. But we're doing a kids' ministry event at a church, and I'm literally carrying a puppet stage made out of wood, not the nice ones that we have nowadays. And I'm helping somebody go on the stage, and this guy opens the door for me of the church because now him and his girlfriend or fiance are serving at this church that we got invited to. Actually, Rosie's best friend, her, her dad was the pastor of that church that we got invited to. And through the connection, we're doing kids ministry there. We walked into that door and him and I locked eyes because he was bad and I was bad. And last time I saw him, he wasn't that guy and I wasn't that guy, right? So when I see him at the door, we locked eyes. And what do you think was the first thing we did? We ignored each other. We're like, <laughs> right? Shame struck instantly, right? And later on, I, I shake his hand later. We, we're not like, hey, man, how you been? We, we just shook hands like we didn't know each other. But both of us knew. I don't say anything to Rosie. Rosie tells me later on that she's talking to her friend, you know, 
they're having guy talk, I guess, I, I don't know. And she says to me, you know, Sal said that you, you've really changed. You're so different than what you used to be. And I said to her, I said to him, I said to Rosie, I said, so has he. He's changed a lot. See, Sal would have looked at me back in high school and say, no way that God would ever end up where he is or end up serving God at any capacity whatsoever. But instead, one touch from God makes you a someone. You know, there's some principles that I want us to learn today as we finish. Two things real quick that I think are lasting lessons that stand out to me far more about David than anything else. Number one, it's in the little things and in the lonely places that we prove ourselves of the big things in life. If you want to be a person of large vision, you must cultivate the habit of doing the little things well. Friends, I, I don't, the test of my calling doesn't happen here on Sunday mornings before you guys. The test of my calling happens Monday through Saturday as I'm in my secret place when no one's watching, prepping myself. That's where the test of my calling happens. Number two, when God develops our inner qualities, he is never in a hurry. We can't stand that as people, but it's so true. Sadly, friends, this is a marathon, not a sprint. A man once said, the conversion of a soul is a miracle of a moment. The manufacture of a saint is the task of a lifetime. When God developed character, he works through your life, through your entire life. There is never hurry. Character is both developed and revealed by tests, and our entire lives is a test. You know, David is one of those people that is first mentioned in the New Testament, and it's the last name we hear in the Old Testament. He's this important character that went through these highs and lows in life. But I want to end today by asking you one question. How insignificant do you think you are? Do you believe that God has chosen you? We know that all of us are an unlikely choice like David. That we could all agree to. But we're still chosen by God. The, the question is, do you believe it? Because some of us actually believe God has let us down at times in life. That you've left to be despaired at one point or another because of your expectations of what God wanted to do in the moment. And you know, the despair only clouds our vision. It hardens our heart. It makes us cynical. And when good news come, we don't even accept it. You ever met that person? We were just talking about it at the door. That cynical person that says something good happened. That means something bad's about to happen then. Joe, you know what I'm talking about. We, we tend to have that same attitude with God. We deal with difficulties in our lives. And we look at God in our relationship with him. And he said, fool me once. Shame on you. Fool me twice. Shame on me. 
can we build a barricade with God? And when he's choosing us for an important moment, maybe the most important moment in our life, we're not ready. We're despaired. We feel God may let me down again. And we say, no, in statement, I can't agree to that. But in our, the way we live our lives, we do. And friends, disappointment comes from unmet expectations. I get it. We set expectations for an almighty God who can do all things. And it doesn't happen. So we say to ourselves, no way am I counting on that one more time. But disappointment is also cured by revamped expectations. And I want you to hit a quick reset this morning. If you've been disappointed or for one reason or another ended up in a position in your life where you had some despair of what took place, you may not be the likable choice, but you are the choice. And God has made you worthy. David was just another insignificant boy. But God saw him for his spirituality, for his humility, for his integrity. Are you bold enough to trust God this morning with your insignificance? I know I did. I do every day. Every time I stand here and I, I sit there, I tell God, Lord, I am unworthy. Please help me to be the right man for the job. Bow your heads and pray with me. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just want to thank you. Thank you so much for giving us the opportunity to be here today, Lord, to worship you, God. I pray, Lord, that as we looked at this life of David, Lord, that we would learn that there isn't another character in Scripture that we can relate more to than David, God. That he is one of the most relatable people, Lord, that we could kind of filter our lives through and see what he did and didn't do with the mistakes he made and the victories he had, God, and the relationship he had with you. Lord, we know that this room is full of qualities, qualities given by you. We know that you're calling people constantly to one thing or the other, everything purpose driven in your walk, God. And I just pray, Lord, that you would ignite that desire to expect much from you within our insignificance. Lord, that you would forgive us of our sin and that you would make us the right people, the chosen people that will bring glory to your name in everything that we do, Lord. Let us not bypass this moment because despair may be taken over our lives because our feelings tell us otherwise, but instead let us have faith to rely on you that if you say we're the people, then we are the people. Jesus, we need you. Your blood is sufficient. We will never outwork you, God. So right now we come before you as your humble servants, believing that you could accomplish much through our lives. Thank you, Jesus, for being so good to us and for choosing us like you have. We pray this in your name. Amen. Give God a hand real quick. Nice.